0: Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. It's a joke that every professional craft brewer started their way by being a home brewer. I mean, go back and listen to all of our shows. Today I'm talking with Eric Gomez, who went through the whole process at a rapid rate. From a first kit a few years back, to scads of medals, and now to a pandemic-induced job change and his first steps into the professional brewing world. Sit back, we're about to get professional. But first, a message from our sponsors.
1: Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making homebrewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks Hard Seltzer Yeast and Nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks Hard Seltzer Recipe Kits, which are for bladed to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, raspberry breeze, lemon and lime smash, and pineapple sunset.
2: Dog Galaxy comes a lot.
0: Galaxy to work, yeah. Galaxy. I, I love burrs and the the funny names they'll give their dogs. Yeah, like.
2: right. <laughs> well,
0: hey, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody?
2: Oh, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Eric uh, Gomez. How are you doing,
0: <laughs> Eric? Where are we sitting?
2: We are actually sitting in the back. Um, what would it be called? the back of the house at Ellipsis Brewing in Orlando, Florida.
0: Right, and so I have a Pilsner in front of me. We're going to get into some of your beer later, but I think let's do the the obvious bit of the story. How would you end up in this place?
2: Um, me, myself, for the, of the of the of the business? Oh, well, me, um, I started as a home brewer. I'm still a home brewer. Um, I won't ever not be a home brewer, I'm pretty sure, right? So, um, yeah, I started brewing late 2018,
0: and... I guess you could say caught on pretty quick, you know. You started in 2018 and here we are in 2021 and yeah. you're already working in in the pros. You obviously took to it like a fish to water.
2: Uh, I mean yeah, things went well. I didn't have too many bad experiences.
0: You, you didn't have the you didn't have the bummer batch where you're like, mm.
2: not too much. No, um I got I got kind of lucky that 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 way. Um first batch was not very good a one-gallon batch, thankfully. Uh, It was extract, so I think I did extract for the
0: first seven brews. How long does those first seven or eight brews take you?
2: Not very long. Yeah, Yeah, not very long at all. Um, They were one-gallon. I think maybe batch four or five. I finally did five gallons. But, yeah, just did a couple of craft kits, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, to start on the kitchen stove, like probably most people do. And then... The bad thing about brewing is the waiting. So you brew a batch, and you're not going to get to taste it for maybe 14 days if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when I first started brewing, it was pretty much by the book. Brew it, ferment for 7 to 14 days, because that's what I was told. That's what I read. And then maybe dry hop for another 7 to 14 days. And then another two weeks of conditioning in a bottle, because that's what I did at first. So, yeah, it was a lot of waiting, so that kind of was, like, the bummer of it mm-hmm. all, but you learn to be patient, I guess, and you brew another batch while you're waiting, so...
0: Oh, well, that's that's always the big secret. You know, right. I remember when I first got started in the hobby, people were, like, lots of questions about, well, you know, I've got this one batch of beer in, in the in the works, and I'm super excited. I can't wait to taste it. What should I do now? And everybody's response was, go brew another one, because by the time that one's ready, you're going to want to keep going. So, keep brewing.
3: Right,
2: because, like, you can... you have. The brewing part and then the fermenting part and then conditioning. So mm-hmm. it's really like three in one of a hobby. So, yeah, while I'm waiting for my batch to ferment and condition, I'm going to take what I learned from the brew part, mm-hmm. apply that to the next brew,
0: see how it goes. Well, and that's always the other piece of advice is if you want to become a better brewer, the only way to become a better brewer is to brew more often. Right. Get it, get it built into your muscle memory. You said you started in 2018. When actually first got you that one-gallon kit, why would you go grab that?
2: Actually, I um, was a co-worker, so uh-huh. a f- good friend of mine, still a good friend of mine. We worked um, together at the time, and he had helped brew with friends a couple of times, and I don't know how involved he was. He was there during the brew, that's probably, and drinking beers, right? So he did that, and he's like, I think I'm going to brew, brew some beer. I'm like, oh yeah, cool, and we started talking about it. I'm like, you done it before? He's like, not really, but I have. I've helped. I've observed. <laughs> yeah, I watched. Um, so I was like, dude, that sounds cool. I love beer, so I'll I'll brew with you, or I'll start learning with you. And, Garrett, I know for a fact I brewed so much more than him. Like <laughs> when I started, like I was like, I gotta brew, I gotta brew, I gotta brew. Like every weekend when I was not working, I'm gonna brew.
0: Well, I mean, that's very similar. Like, for me, I I started brewing, and I was my roommate at the time, who's my best friend. He and I were like, oh, yeah, hey, let's go do this. And, and we said, okay, well, we'll split the cost for each of these batches, right? Because young dude's just out of college, no money. I took to it in the same way that you did, where it was like, I think I did my first six batches within, like, two months. And he he finally just looked at me and said, uh, I'm not paying for all of this. You're you're brewing way faster than I want to. Right. <laughs> And so, yeah, it's funny how that works. Um, so you got involved into it uh, that way. Now, how did how did that go? How'd that go? You said you didn't have any bummer batches except for maybe the first one, but then you started winning stuff, right? And getting a lot of uh,
2: yeah. Um, so yeah, first couple batches were each each batch got better and better, right? Um, which was my goal. Like after that first batch, I I knew it wasn't going to be the best beer in the world. Obviously, it's my first time, so I was like, well that definitely sucked you know i think i had eight bottles and i did not drink eight bottles of it (laughs) you know oh that's bad i drank probably one beer of it and i was like this is gross
0: but yet somehow even though you got that you decided you don't need to do more of it
2: right i was like okay i i know i can brew beer because it's just like a recipe right so i'm like i i can follow cooking order uh recipes why can't i do this so cool, I'm going to do it again. Um, so yeah, anyway, then each one got better. Um, then I finally decided to do my, or go all green. Cause I was doing extract for like, I think the first eight, eight or nine. Um, maybe number nine was kind of like partially my own recipe, but I was doing a, a Pliny clone. So I was like, okay, um, I'm going to take maybe four of these recipes and kind of combine them into my own recipe, a little piece of each. And so that's what I did. Um, and it came out really good. So that was my last extract one. I was like, okay, cool. Finally brewed a really, what even some friends were saying, that's really good. And it's extract. Nice job. You know, so I was like, okay, I think I can try this augerine grain thing. Uh, of course, brewing a bag. And I'm still doing brew in a bag today um, at home. Uh, cause it's just so much easier and faster and you still make fantastic beer. So why not? So anyway, yeah. Um, and I think batch number 10 and or 11, um, turned out really good as well. I entered, found out about homebrew competitions, um, from a club I joined in Orlando called Brewers Anonymous. Uh, cause a friend told me about beer clubs, brew clubs. I was like, okay, um, okay. Yeah, sure, if I can learn from people and take advice and get feedback, absolutely, why not? Um, so yeah, I entered a beer, and long story short, it, I entered actually two beers, two IPAs, it was an IPA contest, so I entered, because that's what I started brewing first, was IPAs, because that's my favorite beer, so, duh, uh, make an IPA, right? It uh Yeah, so that beer, I got second place. And first place, and then the first place beer went on to win best of show. And when I was listening to the results, I was floored. I was like, are you freaking for real? Like, I won best of show? Uh, I won three medals altogether. You know, I was like, just blown away. I was like, wow, this is cool.
0: Yeah, at that point in time, I would probably have been questioning, wait, who'd you guys get to judge this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, all right, we win three medals. And then, at some point, you decide, uh, I, I'm quitting my day job. I'm going to become a brewer. Or was no, there I more wish. in between?
2: No, I wish. If I was, like, a trust fund baby or something, absolutely, yes. I would it not work and just, like, brew beer, do that. But, no, no, still had a day job. Um, and, like I said, like, on you know, depending on what the family is doing, of course, two, uh, three kids and wife. So, you don't always, you can't just brew when you really feel like it. it has to be planned so yeah i definitely started planning on brew days and yeah, just was doing that as as often as i could um as long as i had enough fermenters and you know how it goes so i would brew um and kept wanting to enter competitions because the club was very into competitions and let's compete let's compete i definitely was on board with that i'm like yeah i like winning medals too this is fun so, winning medals, obviously you can't please judges every time. I mean, I don't win medals all the time, but I've won a lot.
0: All right, now we've been joined by a completely different party who's been here before.
3: Yes, hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going, man. It's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. <laughs> well, cheers. Thanks Better for having it. me back.
0: Uh, yeah, well, you might as well tell everybody who you are since they, they're not saying you.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, that's Steve Lumbry, um, uh, the former president of Brewers Anonymous, uh, one of the co-founders. And uh, yeah, kind of just came to hang out while these two talked beer.
0: Well, and and apparently one of the jerks who in, in, encouraged this guy.
3: Yes, 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 <laughs> I had definitely. To twist his arm to get him out of the uh, the the skydiving uh, arena to come and drink some beer. Right. <laughs> That's what I used to do.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and those those two hobbies uh, they they should never be mixed at the same time. But every drop zone I've ever been in has a fridge that gets opened up at the end of the day.
2: Exactly, it's called the beer light. <laughs> just kind of like uh, in the plane, they have a a red light and green light. Green light means go, right? Red light means wait. Um, end of the day, beer light goes on. There we go.
3: <laughs> Sounds like Brazilian barbecue too. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah it can be. <laughs>
0: so, all right, we we got the the the, the brew days happening now. Right. You're, beyond just your three wins for the IPA, yeah. I right, mean, other other things are happening, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that was that that takes us to like. Um, That was actually the first competition of 2019. It was called IPA Smackdown. And then I think that happened in like maybe February or something. And then, yeah, like so the Brew Club was always just, you know, having a list of the competitions that year. And I didn't know much about how it all worked yet. Um, I just knew that there was competitions out there that you could send your beer to and get feedback and hopefully win a medal or two or three or whatever. Right?
3: Multiple. When it started for this guy, they just kept coming.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, I wasn't winning medals every competition, but um, it went pretty well the first, you know, up until still. like, But even like this year, I haven't been winning as many, but like I think we can probably talk about that in competitions and judging how that goes, you know. So I think the hardest thing about competitions is timing. You have to time your your, your brew days, your ferments, your carbonations and keep it f- as fresh as possible to when the judging happens. And that's hard, hard to do, you know, especially if you've got a family um, and you can't just brew on a whim, be like, okay, seven days to drop off, brew a Kvike, you know, or something like that. So,
0: you, you know, particularly if you're dealing with IPAs where you're, you know, you're worried about your your hop freshness and how much aroma you're popping out there. And, you know, yeah. Particularly these days with the hazies. Especially
2: IPAs. That's probably the most critical beer out there for freshness. Because um, you want to drink them fresh, and like you send, you send a two-month-old IPA to a competition. I guarantee you, you're probably not going to win best of show, <laughs> in the first place at all. You know, so yeah, I've definitely been learning that. Like, oh crap, that was a really good beer, but I, you know, obviously I know. Oh crap, that beer's old. It's not going to do well. Sure enough, didn't do well. Have you, have you ever had one
0: that that you thought wasn't going to do well that ended up doing well?
2: I did. Actually, the first place IPA that I won this year with a, a co-brewer, Graciani, we, he came up with um, an idea, or not an idea, he asked me to brew beer from Bissell Brothers, like a clone. Um, we had a generic recipe, if you will, so he did his recipe, I did my recipe. I actually liked his beer better than mine. It was a little more piney, so I liked his beer better, um, but either way judges liked my beer but we each you know got points for that one so we got first place on it and not and it's funny because i was like i really didn't even like that beer i was i liked the beer itself all the combinations i just didn't like the yeast that you know i got to choose from so if i if i did that one again i would pick a different yeast
0: well actually you mentioned earlier that you know ipa is one of those beer styles that freshness really matters on but you have, uh, you have in your magical old pack there another beard that I think actually is, uh, as a style, even more freshness-dependent.
2: I, I agree. And at first, I was misinformed, maybe. I was like, I thought that perhaps Heffenweisen's needed aging, like months of aging. For me, I don't think that's true. I think, you know, your three, three weeks to six weeks window is, is the best
0: for me. But... Everybody's different, right? Different well, opinions. I mean, I think the the best one I've ever had a, a, from a homebrew level, I literally had it thirteen, fourteen days after a, after brewing, and it it just it sang because of that magical freshness to it. So let's get into these cans here of homebrew.
3: Yeah, if you want to talk about how seriously he does take his homebrewing, this man cans his own beer, which is definitely to a different level.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what do you use as a can steamer?
3: Um I opted for the
2: cannular and. I guess if we're talking honesty, um, I like it. It's a lot cheaper than the October October canner, but I am definitely have had some issues with it. It's kind of like a little more fitting. I've never used October, so I can't really speak to that one. Um, but I know this one does take a little more upkeep. Um, so I was, I was telling you earlier, I, I just canned these up yesterday um, and started having issues on like, about beer number 20, 21, um, the table was starting to loosen and go too high, and I started crushing cans. I was like, mother (laughs) trucker!
0: So, uh, that was the end of canning day. Well, and I think Cannular is the one from More Beer, and it's the one that takes its own particular can size. Uh, I have an All-American can seamer at home, and you talk about, like, being old. and Those All-Americans, which a lot of places use for crawlers and whatnot, those are that's 1930s technology there. Uh-huh. Those are
3: beautiful, though. Those
0: are more more manual. Like, Yep. You can get the ones with the, the motor attached to it and geared and all that oh, sort okay. of fun stuff. But, yeah, mine's, a, mine's mm-hmm. the, the manual flywheel on the back. And then the other one that's out there, you mentioned the October. And I'm seeing a couple others. I'm actually really fascinated at the fact that canning, which, as you alluded to, is a very finicky process. Yep. It requires a lot of sort of delicate dancing between machinery and tolerances, and also what you're doing for uh, dissolved oxygen in your package. Yeah. You know, cans, cans are going to be a whole new frontier for homebrewers who are going to quickly figure out just how much of a pain the fatukas they are.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with the October over at uh, Rock Pit Brewing back when I was a bartender there, and supposedly that one had little pucks on it that you could use to adjust the cans. You could do a 12-ounce can or a 16-ounce can. It was never that simple. You always had to bust out a ten millimeter wrench to really kind of tighten things down and get it nice. We spent months trying to get that thing dialed in for the twelve ounce and the sixteen. It never worked, so we just went sixteen all the way, and that was it. That's what you got to do. Yep. All
0: right. So let's talk the uh, let's talk the heft that we got here before uh, before it disappears.
3: <laughs> it's because <laughs> right.
0: it's a smooth drinker.
3: It smells delicious too. Thank, Thank you. I
0: was going to say my, my my first thoughts on it were it has. All that sort of wonderful banana bread uh, type aroma to it. Um, you know, you got that yeasty, weedy, you know, sort of doughy type of thing going on. You've got a nice, a nice banana in it, but not like over the top banana. And then you've also got that really, you know, lovely like little clove phenol, the eugenol thing in the background that that kind of helps sweep the taste buds. And you totally get that when you when you're tasting it because nice. you get the you get that eugenol coming through and sort of numbing the taste buds and getting you ready for that next sip. So, break down for me. What did you do with this?
2: Um, well, this is actually version number 10. I kept kept all the recipes pretty similar. Same yeast, mostly same grain. Well, actually, the grain bill has evolved, right? <laughs> um, so, same yeast and same hops throughout all 10 beers of this beer. This one, so my, my desire, if you will, to keep improving this beer has been um, because it's not gotten to first place yet. So it's gotten third, <laughs> and it's gotten second, like, you know, a few times. Um, so it's kind of just like, ah, I want to I want make the best half I can and just keep going until somebody says, it's a litter, you know. so that's <laughs> I don't think me. you're far but, um, off with
0: this. No. Yeah, because, I mean, some
2: people like their their half more banana. They like it more clovey. I kind of am happy with right in the middle. Mm-hmm. But I know, so, yeah, sometimes I brew for. For judges. This is definitely a beer that I'm trying to impress some judges with. So I opted for a little more clove, I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um so I did ferment this one a little bit warmer than the past ones at 66. Yes, 3068. And you know, maybe eventually I'll i if this one doesn't win first, maybe I'm gonna be like, screw it, I'm gonna try a different yeast. But I think this, this yeast is fabulous.
0: Okay. And then you, for the grain bill and, and all that?
2: Um, it's pretty much half white wheat and half pilsner. Wireman or Best uh, or
0: Rarer?
2: I, I believe the white wheat is Wireman and mm-hmm. the pilsner was a bohemian pilsner. I'm not exactly sure the brand. Is that the Orlando Home Bruce Flies? Probably Wireman?
3: Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. All
0: right. And then so fifty-fifty on that. Now the big question I always get with people in in half and, and lesson, to decoct or not to decoct.
2: Um, no decocting. That's when you remove part of the wart, boil it, and then add it back or in a mash, right? So, no. no, I haven't ever truly done a decoct. I have done, I have mashed in lower mm-hmm. and done re- uh, like uh, protein rest, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, at so I I've done that. I did that with this one. I rested it at one twenty two for fifteen minutes, and then up to think 154 for an hour do you do that
0: uh, via direct heat or uh, yep fusion? propane okay. propane um so i kind of like keeping the bag off the bottom of the pot yeah yeah
2: of course <laughs> <laughs> that was a little you know more time consuming of a, of a of a mash because obviously once you get to the rest cool but then when you add the flame back you gotta you gotta be there you gotta stir every four or five minutes or yeah you could have issues
0: not a lot of hop character to this but you know what are, we, what are we doing here for hops?
2: Um, I believe it was a sixty-minute and then a, a ten-minute uh, Willamette. Lame- I'm sorry, Willamette. Yakima Valley hops, baby. <laughs> Willamette, damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was pronouncing wrong. Was and somebody's like, it's actually Willamette, damn it. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I won't forget. But <laughs> that's I, a good name for a beer. I still, if I don't think about it, I'll still say Willamette.
0: I mean, Willamette. There has to have been somebody who's made a beer named that. I'm, oh yeah! I can't, I can't imagine that there hasn't been. It's one of those fun
3: hop names, like the uh, Hallertau Mittafru. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You got to hit that H just right. That's right. All
0: right, and so you had said uh, you you thought like three to six weeks is sort of your sweet spot here. Yeah. H- how old is this one that we're having?
2: This one is about I would say two to two and a half weeks
0: old. See, so, and that and that puts it in the kind of the sweet spot that uh, for me because I always think that hefewines. You know, like the ones that we get from Germany, you know, like the Weisstefahners and, and the yes. Franz Kanzers and all that. They always suffer with that big, long, damn boat trip from Europe to us. And so by the time you get it over here, it's a couple months old. And it never quite tastes how I envision it to. And so that's part of the reason why I, I encourage people who like the idea of a wheat beer to go and make your own because your own's going to stand actually a pretty good chance of being a damn good beer. If for no other reason than the fact that it's young. Right. So far, this has been the CCR of, of, of beers for you. I mean, always number two never right. number one. Right. You're still brewing at home now. I mean, you're here in the brewery. Brewing how often?
2: Well, honestly, um, I just joined the Ellipsis crew about, uh, I think it'll be... Oh, what, three weeks uh, now? I think it'll so, be right? almost a month. Yeah. yeah. So, I've done three full weeks. already. i right. There you go. I'm part-time right now. Oh, um, right. And, you know, uh, yes, I do want to be... Full time eventually, and take on more more responsibilities here. But yeah, actually, I just got to see. La- I worked Tuesday and Thursday. Last Tuesday, I assisted with my first ten barrel batch, and then Sweet. Thursday, I kind oh. of took more of the lead. Of obviously, of course, Aaron. So Aaron anderson's is the current head brewer here. Um, amazing. Um, yeah, he definitely helped me a lot. Otherwise, there would have probably been some beer on the floor. Most likely,
3: <laughs> it happens. Yeah, <laughs> All
0: right, it doesn't matter if it's a humber rig or a professional rig. Every rig has its own idiosyncratic behavior, its own its own strangeness that you need to learn. And you know, it's just like driving somebody else's really weird old fashioned stick car. Three uh, three weeks here. So, what inspired you to make that change?
2: Um. Well, I mean, COVID, pretty much. So, yeah, I was an uh, indoor skydiving instructor trainer um, for eight years. I wasn't a trainer for eight years, but I was an instructor for eight years. Um. So, yeah, COVID kind of like put a stop to that, and then like, okay, well, gotta um, do something. Gotta do something. Yeah. Um. I do have another part-time job right now. We're not talking about them. <laughs> have you heard of Hop Killers? No. Glassware. Um. This shirt is actually Hop Killers. Okay. Hey Sethy. Um so yeah, Hopkillers uh he actually just started a meadery, too. But anyway, Sethy Jones actually invited me to come down to Ellipsis to meet everyone. I was like, Okay, cool. So he's like, Bring some beer. I'm like, All right, I'll bring some beer. So I came out like late last year, met met everybody or whoever was here, um, uh, gave him some beer. Sethy said he wants to work in the brewing industry and you know, see where it goes. That's pretty much how it how I got hired. More or less, right? And then a couple months went by. Some things transpired at the brewery. They needed some help. Ken reached out to me if I still was interested in working in the brewery industry. And I said, absolutely, please, and thank you, you know, basically. And now you're learning how much
0: washing it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Lots of, definitely. I mean, just like, I mean, think about, it, like, at home, if you have, you know, a keezer or you keg beer It doesn't clean itself, so yeah, there's that part of brewing, even at a brewery. Someone's got to clean the kegs that come back, and right now, that's me. I
3: think that's pretty much where everybody starts to brew. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah
0: every, you know, I mean, I know a lot of owners uh, joke about being the chief bottle washer and whatnot. No, that's the low man on the totem pole. And and the keg washer
3: is always the fun machine to use. Exactly. Nobody jumps into being a cellarman right away. Right. I <laughs> mean, it's
2: actually not bad. So Premier Stainless is what these guys use. So they got the Premier Stainless keg washer. And it's really easy to use. I mean, you push a couple buttons, you you load it uh, the keg on there, and you literally can do something else for five to ten minutes. So, you know, it's not, it's not really too much, too bad.
0: Yeah. It's not like some of the older, uh, older, cheaper ones that you get where it's like, you got to throw this valve in the right order and this valve in the right order and this, that and the other. If not, you're going to cost a uh, cost a face bath. (laughs) Right. Yeah. If You have a a truly good quality keg washer. It does get to be a little easier. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely less hands on than,
2: you know, if you're using your kitchen sink at home to clean your kegs, like this is, this is the way to go if you got, if you got five grand. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
0: with you now making this transition you're yeah. still brewing at home you said, obviously yeah still on the kitchen stove
2: no 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 um, oh no, you're on so, the
0: propane burner now
2: right What's yeah up? so back to the early brews like by i think by like brew number 8 or 9 i finally bought one off the kitchen stove i bought a an 8 gallon beer kettle um from northern mm. brewer a mega pot at the time Ju- no i didn't it didn't have any ports on it so mm. i was pretty much yeah cuz I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what was the best to do. I didn't want to spend a crap load of money either. Mm -hmm. So like $250 (laughs) kettle, holy crap, that's a lot of money. Um, So yeah, yeah. but really nice kettle for eight gallon kettle with no ports.
0: Well, I mean, I'll tell you one of the best brewers I've ever known and the woman who taught me pretty much everything I know about yeast, she to this day still continues to brew on these giant kettles. I mean, I, I could fit in one very comfortably. Uh, <laughs> you can make drew soup out of me in one of these <laughs> things. And to this day, no ports, no nothing on it. She racks out of it with a giant long length of copper that she's turned into a copper racking cane. Nice. And she's been brewing that way for 40-some-odd years.
3: Amazing. Yeah. If it works, don't change it. Well, Exactly.
0: It, well, and of course, that's what's so funny is and right now we are in this period of time when so much stuff that we know about brewing, particularly around hops and whatnot, is radically changing. And so it's kind of hard because in some ways, at least for you know those of us who have been doing this for a while, like I've been doing this now for 22 years, you know, like there is a lot of that ingrained stuff where you're like, oh, well, no, but that's the way I was taught and this is what I do and this has always worked for me. And now suddenly it's like, oh, thiols and this and that and the other. and. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit hard sometimes to do that change. Now, I mean, Steve, I forget when did you get into homebrewing.
3: Uh, twenty thirteen.
0: Okay, so twenty thirteen. So I mean, you're still a newer brewer, but you've got more time in 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 grade. I we say. Yeah. So and you're you're right at that start when things started to change.
3: Yeah, I got laughed out of a homebrew store once for telling them about eighty percent efficiency with in a bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's not unheard of. Like that's funny. Yep.
0: No, I mean, truthfully, like even Denny, you know, Denny's told the story many times on the podcast about. When he started to really advocate for batch sparging, you know he got he got a lot of people out there who were like efficiency, <laughs> um, and yet I mean he's still getting really great efficiency doing batch sparging. Uh, he and I now both primarily brew on our grandfathers, which I mean if you think about it, those the grandfathers, all those all in ones, the Brazilla, the Robo all those, all they really are is stainless steel bruna bag setups you know I mean <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah so yeah the fact that you can make good beer with it and you can get good efficiency out of it is, is just fine but i mean for you having started in 2018 you've been right in the middle of all this change and kind of learning why a lot of this stuff is in flux right. so it, it has to have been interesting to run into a lot of the old guard
2: everyone's been pretty supportive um so, actually, how I learned about the club was uh, a, a gentleman named Dave Snow. Um, he's an Orlando guy. has been brewing for a long time. Actually, to some people, was known as the, the beer guy. That's what my father-in-law calls him. He's a good friend, right? Um, so, that's how I met him through my father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually tasted my first all-citra, all-grain. Um, I believe that was brew number 10. And um, he was like, wow, this is really good. Good job, and you know, so he's like, "You got to join a beer club." I was like, "Okay, what? What should I? Which one?" And so he told me, "Brewers Anonymous." They're like the best. I'm like, "That's the one I want." <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the, the humber clubs are such a weird bit of tribalism, in a way. I mean, I've explained this to people in LA before. right? LA, huge freaking city, you know, and like 19 million people across that whole megalopolis that we're in, and there's probably only well, there's probably less than two thousand people who are dedicated enough and idiotic enough to join a homebrew club. That's Across still that a home- lot. Well, I know, but I mean, again, nineteen million people. True, <laughs> but it's always weird to me that like there's that sort of homebrew club tribalism because if you think about it, we are all the special sort of idiot. To, to be so deeply involved in that, in, 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 in a homebrew club. And the fact that we get that sort of tribalism, like, oh, no, this is the best one, this is the best one, we're better. <laughs> it's just so, it's so odd to me, because it's kind of like, um, you guys realize we're kind of unique, right? We should kind of be happy for each other here. <laughs> but there's always that, like, sometimes it gets mean, most of the times it's good-natured, thankfully.
3: Right. We got a little bit of that here in Florida, though, because, I mean, we got uh, about, what, 20 million you know, residents in Florida. Mm-hmm. And we've got maybe 15 active brew clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the circuit, you know, makes right. that so much fun because we do get to compete with each other and we get to throw down and yeah. it's it's a lot of fun.
0: So let me ask, uh, which is the better uh, better homebrew scene? Orlando or Tampa?
3: Tampa's got some pretty darn good clubs out there. Um, here in the Orlando area, we've got three primary clubs. We have Central Florida homebrewers. We've got uh, Seminole. Brew club of Summer County and then of course us Brewers Anonymous. And we're we're the new kids on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of folks uh, kind of balked at us at first, but when we brought that trophy back in our second year of existence, they uh they, they kinda of took a second look at us. Right. So definitely this brew club
2: is is, you know, top five contender since they started.
3: I think when
0: we last talked, I, I chalked some of it up to youthful exuberance.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely true. I mean, uh, the, if you look at the demographic of our club, uh, we have a lot of younger members, mm-hmm. um, whereas some of the other clubs are definitely a little bit of the older card, um, which is fine. We welcome everybody, though. And uh, one of the things that I like to strive for, too, is inclusion. You know, we have folks of all walks of life, which is amazing. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, hey, so before we, uh, before we begin to wrap up, uh, any any other words of wisdom about, like, you had mentioned some stuff about, you know, getting ready for Humber for competitions. Now, you've also said that IPA is your favorite style. Yeah. So beyond freshness, what are your keys to making a kick-ass IPA?
2: Hmm,
0: wow. Well, and actually, first, hazy or West Coast?
2: <laughs> it doesn't have to be hazy, but I, I'm a more of a less bitter guy. Right. Like Definitely, um, first craft beer that I can recall ever having was a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. From the classic Chico, California, because they they didn't have it in the East Coast before, right? So definitely a lot of bitterness in that. I do recall that I was like, "Wow, this is like a bitter beer." But you know, I was um not quite a legal age at the time, but um, it doesn't c- matter. I'm
0: fairly certain the statute of limitations is twenty. 20. <laughs> yes, yes.
2: When I first had that beer, and yeah, I was like, "This is good," but. Very bitter, or, or, like, what is that, like, that bite? I didn't know bitterness, you know, but... So, for me, I I do prefer, I guess, um, the softer mouthfeel. You, you want a more flavor and aroma-forward. I do. I prefer tons of aroma. Um, I like to smell it in the glass as before I'm taking a sip, as I'm taking a sip. I like to taste it in my mouth when I'm enjoying that sip, and I like more of it. I like a lot of it. Yeah, so I guess any words of advice. Um you know, upgrade your equipment when you can because I'm not brewing on that mega pot anymore. Um I got a very nice Spike 20 gallon plus. So it's like a mini mini professional setup if you will, tri clamps and all that butterfly valve stuff, which it it does seem like overkill at first, but it's it's really handy and convenient for a brew day. Um doesn't mean you have to have that kind of setup to make great beer. Obviously, you can use a, a copper siphon if you want to,
0: oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, to like, rack
2: from, yeah, yeah and I mean, that like, works. I'll, uh, I'll put
0: MV's beer up against uh, just about anybody's.
2: So for me, it's like, you brew what you like, do your best to get better each beer, each batch, um, take good notes. If you don't take good notes, you're never going to learn from yourself. Like, nobody's memory is that good, at least not mine. So, yeah, taking good notes... Um, and yeah, take pictures. People like to see stuff. Take pictures. Um, hashtag the crap out of post. That's how you. <laughs> that's how you eventually get sponsored. That's um, worked well for you too. Yeah.
3: So well,
0: so let me ask with your with your preference for the more flavorful and aromatic side of the IPA. When you're looking at your hop loads how are you putting those in? Are you, when you're choosing varieties, are you doing something, are you doing some sort of special math in your head about like what varieties go in? Do you have a preference?
2: Yeah. I mean, each, each IPA is different. I mean, I've brewed a lot of different IPAs, like only one time I've repeated certain IPAs a few times, you yeah, know, but it sounds
0: like professional brewing these days.
2: But for for me, yeah, I definitely, I definitely like, don't like to, even if it's a great beer, like I might still be like, okay, that was a great beer. I'm going to brew that again. But Now I'm 10 batches down the road, and I'm still like, okay, I still got to go back and brew that one because it was good.
0: Um, I mean, look, I only have two beers I brew routinely, repeatedly. Uh, One's my basic saison, and the other one's my cream ale. I I try not to buy
2: beer at home um, because I want to drink my own beer, you know, Um, but you, you don't always get to maintain... Uh, full kegs obviously so
0: well but also let's let's face it you know as admirables' goal that is i mean it's also important from an ability to be able to expand your your mental reach right that you are actually trying other people's beers other people's ideas
2: exactly you have to, you have to do your market research because there are so many great beers out there from so many great breweries and unfortunately we don't have access to them all you know like there's a I could probably name 12 places right now that I don't have access to that I would love to try their IPAs, but I just, I can't because I live in Florida. (laughs) Like, they don't ship here or they're just not here, you know. So, yeah, you you definitely have to do your research and enjoy other breweries and other homebrewers.
0: By the way, actually, one of the uh, interesting and frustrating parts about living in California, our beer market is so well structured in terms of the number of craft breweries we have that we don't see a lot of -of out-of-state breweries. So, we, you know, we'll see some stuff from Oregon. We'll see, like, some of the big guys, like, you know, Allagash and some of the big Colorado breweries. But, yeah, I mean, like, anybody anybody small and kind of interesting never comes into California.
2: Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's hard enough to get an East Coast beer in Florida, uh, you know, from up a little bit, you know, basically like the Carolina and above area. Like, we can't get those here. Yeah, unless, <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, unless it's paint. If you know somebody
3: and, you know, wink, wink, you're getting, you know, a, a Porsche bomb. But... I think I've seen like Green Man down here, and that was probably about the furthest north beer that I've seen outside of your, you know, your big beers. Yeah, unless you
2: drive up there or fly up there. I don't even know if you can bring beer home on an airplane or Oh, yes, you suitcases. can. Yeah, yeah, okay, you have to, cool. You have to pack up in the uh,
3: 90 cans. <laughs> 90 <job>. cans. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I do miss the pre-9-11 days when uh, I could load my carry-on with, uh, with beers from other places. Lost a company laptop once to that, but nope. we won't talk about that. <laughs> Before we go, any last words?
2: Uh, I don't know. Um, brew a lot, drink a lot. Be smart. Be clean. Cleanliness is equals great beer. Hopefully, in the long run.
0: And I think the the other thing is, we'll uh, for our listeners, we'll include not only the hefeweizen, hefeweizen recipe, but also an example of one of your IPA recipes that you like. Right? Oh, sure. Well, and in the meanwhile, I mean, I guess people will start to be able to see, you know, hopefully some of your results, you know, on the deck here at Ellipsis, you know, over time.
2: Over time, eventually, yes. Um, that is a possibility. I know they have their, their core rotation. Mm-hmm. 90% is already laid out. You know, um, but okay. yeah,
0: you gotta, they got to sneak brews in every once in a while to make the, the brewers right.
3: happy. There's a nice little pilot system over there that I could see them let you jump on every <laughs> once in a while. So,
0: And what we're talking about is right over here in the corner, we've got a single tier three vessel kegel system. I know people hate that word kegel, but two pumps <laughs> yep, um, and a couple of uh, gold fashion uh, uh, propane, uh, propane burners. By the way, not too dissimilar to the uh, to the rig. Those are the same burners on the rig that I had that I just sold. Nice. I sold my big 26-gallon rig uh, oh, yeah. because I realized I hadn't used it in two and a half years, and, and I was brewing everything on the grandfather, so I was like, here, I'll let this go to somebody else in the club and, and let, them, let them have some fun
3: with it. I went through a very similar thing. I just got rid of all my propane stuff back at the beginning of the year because we're all electric now at the house. 220 circuit right in the kitchen and yeah. plug in and go.
0: All right. Well, hey. In the meanwhile, thank you for uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, sharing some of your knowledge. Like I said, we will put together recipe notes for the website so people can go see that. Those recipe notes will also be available on grandfather. dot com. We're starting to do that program as well, so you can look for experimental brewing on grandfather. dot com, and you'll actually be able to pull up any of the recipes that we're talking about and load them straight into the grandfather application. So if you do have a grandfather straight away, or if you don't have a grandfather, you can still use that and actually use the application to help power your beer. Sounds great. Awesome. Awesome sauce. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Gentlemen, Thank you. let's go have a beer. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this meandering journey of one brewer's move from homebrewing to medal-winning and now to professional brewing. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at expbrewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And, of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Project Freedom Ride, helping make sure that shelter pets get from places where, well, they're not wanted, to places where they'll be adopted into forever homes. So until next time, remember the Brewers out there. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files.
1: This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org.